you're listening to the Transport for the North podcast. Hello and welcome to the Transport for the North podcast. We are bringing you another of our breakout sessions from our annual conference today. This one was all about funding the transport projects we need in the North. The session was chaired by Laura Collins of the Yorkshire Evening Post and our panellists were Ian Craven, Finance Director at Transport for the North, Councillor Charlie Edwards from Lancashire County Council, Sir Roger Marsh of NP11 and Emma Antrobus from the Institution of Civil Engineers. I hope you enjoy their discussion. Good afternoon and it's so nice to see so many faces out and about today. For me this is the first time I've actually been out in about a year and a half so I feel like it's a bit of a baptism of fire really. Um, So today we're talking about funding the transport projects that we need. In a post-COVID world where the North has suffered disproportionately, there have been real significant challenges to public finances But there's also a really strong narrative around building back better from the pandemic. So we're going to be talking about the challenges and the opportunities of financing and funding transport over the coming years, where the obstacles lie and what can be done in both the public and private sector to accommodate this. So I'm joined by a fantastic panel. Um, We've got Ian Craven, the Finance Director of Transport for the North. We've got Councillor Charlie Edwards, TFN Board Member for Lancashire. Sir Roger Marsh, who probably needs no introduction. And we've got Emma Antrobus as well, the Northwest Director of the Institute for Civil Engineers. So Ian, if I can start with you in terms of opening remarks. Okay, thank you. Um I think it's probably worth just just recalling um, what it is we're trying to fund here. So Martin mentioned it earlier in the in the plenary session. Um, the this, this strategic transport plan sets out a plan for sustainable and inclusive economic growth, and it sets out a plan that will deliver 850,000 jobs over 30 years, 40 years. Um, and delivering that strategic transport plan is, is pretty fundamental to TFN's purpose. The funding that we need is 2.3 billion a year to deliver that plan. Um, I think it's fair to say that the way that the British state is is organises itself at the moment um, and the lack of devolution, the centralisation of the way that government works and particularly the the way in which revenue is collected and then doled out leads you to a point where Treasury collects 94% of the revenues that are raised by, by the UK, in the UK, by the public sector. The other 6% is raised by largely by local authorities, but that's for ring fence for, for some very specific purposes. And I think most people are probably aware of the extent to which local authorities are, are suffering financial strain in any case. Um, and therefore, the, the question, where does that money come from? I think at the moment, I, I can only really see one answer. Now, there, there are some things you can do around the peripheries to, to help raise... Um, additional funding um, to support the strategic transport plan. Um, so it was mentioned in one of the sessions earlier that there are retail opportunities around railway stations, for instance. But if you look at the scale of the expenditure that is required um, to actually m- kind of move the dial in the north, um, and if you look at the nature of quite a lot of the, the investments that we have in our investment pipeline, so I, I would point to the number of road schemes that are in there for which there are no obvious um, revenue raising opportunities. 
Um, and, and if you actually, if you look at, at, at when there are revenue raising opportunities, the costs that, that, that local authorities have to bear associated with those, so I'm talking about housing schemes, for instance, where they come with a need to build primary schools and access roads and, and health centres and, and the rest. It is really something, I mean, it's something that we've, we've looked into in quite a lot of detail, but I think overall, if, if this is going to be funded in any meaningful way in the near future, then it will need to be funded by central government. Charlie, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I'd, I'd just really improve on those remarks really by just saying that I think we need to focus on on three things in terms of our, our in terms of our conversation as the North. From my perspective, we need to make sure that we demonstrate that we are credible. We need to demonstrate that we are capable, and in turn, the government then needs to give us that certainty. So, in terms of Credible, I think what we need to ask for has got to be realistic, it's got to be strategic, and it's actually it's got to take people with us. So I, I made a note here, do not mention anything parochial Lancashire. So in Skelmersdale, <laughs> uh, we've, we, um, uh, we, we, we announced yesterday, we're going to, uh, last week, sorry, where we pushed the, the, the business case for a new rail link, uh, linking. Liverpool, Manchester, and Skem, and one of the biggest thing, feedbacks we got was, "Oh, we've heard it all before," because it is just another business case. It's not concrete on the ground shovel. So we've got to make sure what we're telling, what what we're asking government is got to be credible, and it's got to make sure that we have the, the people have got to be with us all the way. Capacity, I think, is really important. We've got to make sure that we actually are capable of delivering these, and I think that Tracy Brabin said it in her opening remarks very well. Um, we've got to demonstrate we can deliver. Um, there is a, there's a brain drain happening, and I don't think that this is something that, that we are quite aware of. Um, do not mention anything parochial. In Lancashire, we've uh, got the Preston Western Distributor Link Road, which is being built at the moment. It's like a new Preston bypass, the other side of the M6. And the guy who is leading that project, fantastic, fantastic officer of the County Council. And this is his, this is his swan song. This is his my way. And he, his first project for us was building the M65. And the people who he learned how to build roads from built the M6. And that was the first motorway in the country. And he's going after this project. And I think it's that brain drain. And actually, do we have the, the, the institutional kind of capacity to be able to deliver on major infrastructure projects in the north? Um, but the, so are we credible? Are we capable? The answer is obviously and clearly yes. And when we can combine those two, then we can go to government really and say, right, what we need is the certainty. We need long-term. We need long-term planning. We need a long-term financial solution. So whatever uh, guise it comes in, as, as, as you say, Ian, it's not, we shouldn't really be talking about financing. It should be funding uh, the way in which we, we, we fund transport in the north um, it's got to be it's got to be long term that for me is the key I've got a couple of innovations I'd like to see and you say that it's peripheral uh, it's, it's uh, having a it's like it's like having a paper round to pay off the mortgage um, and 
but I think we should think about how do we be, how are we self-sustainable? Um, and I like the idea of us actually focusing on the fact that we need to open up new markets of passengers, and that's the best way I think for us to be self-sustainable is actually get more money from passengers. The best way to do that is make sure that passengers are using the services that they want. So we've got to make sure that we are market-driven in the way in which we we, we design these services. I really like the idea of actually uh, reintroducing people who've never got on trains or don't want to get on trains. I think we should have a Northern Rail card and every person in the North gets a rail card and they've got one prepaid journey on it every year, a return journey. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think about it. Um, but in, 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 in conclusion, sorry for my remarks, I'd just like to say that the key for me is the fact that the government, when it is making these decisions, it can't be done based on just a BCR, a financial algorithm, because when, when the North asks for something using a financial algorithm based in London, computer says no. And computer, computer doesn't just say no once, it says it no time and time again, and that cannot be the way in which we deliver. Um, so show that we're credible, show that we're capable, and we'll get to certain. So touching on what Charlie said, Sir Roger Marsh, why do you think the North has historically struggled to maintain that same level of investment as other areas over the previous decades? Oh, that is a very big and difficult question. I think, I think one of the challenges which I believe we've overcome as a community of, of like-minded Northerners, whether we hail from the North or not, but perhaps live and work here now, is is seeing ourselves not as a problem, but as a solution. And I'd like to think, whether it's the private sector, the public sector, whether it's left chairs like me, locally, MP11, or otherwise, that we are beginning to speak with one voice. It's not about what we haven't had, because that's past tense. It's actually what we offer. And I think people forget, uh, whilst transport is clearly very important, it's one of the ingredients. The, the prize, ultimately, and I say this with, with my own personal conviction, is that within a reasonable time frame, question mark, what is that, that we progressively uh, moved away from deprivation and poverty being every day of the week for the vast majority of the 16 million plus people that live in the North, number one. But, but to achieve that, we also, with the right level of, of, of investment against the offers we make as a community, and the asks then can be calibrated, progressively in North, and I think you used the word, Charlie, we're actually self-financing as, as, as an economy, rather than the pre-pandemic monthly deficit of at least a billion pounds a month for underperformance, and I remember a few years ago, the Northern Health Science Alliance published a report about health for wealth. And one of the challenges of low productivity in the North was due to the health of the working and other populations. And so I think, for me, the, the, the transport piece is part of, a, of, of an important ingredient to the recipe that delivers a net contributing North rather than continually dependent North, which in turn, over time, and my own time scale would be, it'll, it won't be within a decade, but should be well within two, um, where we've progressively moved the dial on positively. And, 
I think for us to make the case, and again, Charlie's right, we want the computer to say, let's just think about this. Let's just think about it. And, and I'm like you, I don't want to be parochial. But let me illustrate my point here in West Yorkshire. Yes, the computer might look at a city like Bradford with all of its economic challenges, the youngest city in the country, massively diverse, and say, why would you put a city centre station in that city? As compared to, actually, what might you do in terms of unleashing its economic potential for generations to come? And it's about having that bigger vision. So for me, linking <coughs> all that we're doing in this room and today and beyond with the wider plan for growth and the three, the three pillars and the three objectives, all of which we, I think, could ascribe to and keep making the case not for what we haven't had but what we what we offer we offer something extraordinary to UK PLC and but that's why some of the asks are quite sizable then the question is how do you match offer and ask and Emma why do you think it's so important to see this sustained pipeline of investment in infrastructure I think it's absolutely fundamental that we've got a pipeline and um, speaking on behalf of the institution of civil engineers um, and we've you know we have companies who want to take on staff but a lot of it is project-based so you don't take on staff unless you've got work um, you know fundamentally um, and, and we have such an opportunity to really grow our skills base to drive up that productivity um, uh, around the, the construction industry um, and, and the, the north and the country as a whole. Um, but you can't do it without certainty. And, and we know that nothing's certain in this life. And I think the last 18 months particularly has shown us that. Um, but actually, during that period, the construction industry has not paused in the same way that it does with recessions in the past or has done with recessions in the past. Um, we are in a, a, a different situation, but at the same time, we've not been able to plan in advance for the kind of um, rhetoric that we're getting from government about building back better, but in a, in a sustainable net zero way. How do we retrofit our industries and our homes in terms of um, energy efficiency? So the there is demand out there. Um, we need to ensure that our skills system can support that. Um, but without the pipeline of work, um, actually, that stalls. Um, and we can't deliver in the most effective, most cost-effective way. Um, and, and, you know, we don't move forward. So I guess the big question is, what are the main challenges that you see to getting that right level of investment, not just for our major cities, but also for our towns and our rural areas as well, if I can open that up. Well, I mean, I think there's a, there's a few challenges in there. Um, I mean, there's a capacity challenge. Um, there is a, we, you've got to make the case first, first up. So, you, so um, Charlie was talking about computers saying, no, I think the changes to the Green Book means that the computer, the computer might say yes more often. But then that leaves you with another set of decisions, decisions to make because you've got more things you could, you could potentially do that would be Green Book compliant. Um, I think you've, you, 
have got to have the capacity within either local authorities or, or regional bodies to develop schemes to get them capable of being invested by, by government. Um, you've got to prove that they, they do what they say they're going to do, which I think some of the work Transport for the North has done has been quite important in that in terms of developing our analysis tools. Um, and then you've got to have a supply chain to actually build them, which Emma was just referring to, to then. So there's a, there's a whole series of, of things that we need to be able to do. And, and being realistic, you know, I talked about 2.3 billion a year earlier. I mean, that's just the number in the strategic transport plan divided by the number of years. I mean, the reality is that's not next year or the year after because we've got to build, our, build and prove that, you know, the ways of working, the systems, the capability to do that. But that will only happen if you get some kind of multi-year commitment from government to actually actually commit to an investment pipeline, in my view. I think what, one of the biggest challenges as well is rising costs. I think, uh, did you know the price of tomatoes has tripled in a year? <laughs> and you know, and, and you don't build railways for tomatoes. Um, you know, the problem that we've got is that there is a huge, I think that's the biggest challenge coming down the line for us, is we're costing projects five years ago, asking for the money now, and it's going to be it's going to be five years where we deliver it, and I think that's the big problem, is there's going to be a funding gap, and who meets that? If the government only gives us £300 million for a project, does the county council meet that? Who, who, who pays for that? So I think that is a major challenge that, again, just needs to be in people's minds. I guess the inconvenient truth is kind of where we are fiscally as a country. Um, we can't afford to, and we can't afford not to. It's how to strike the right balance between the priorities, uh, the obvious ones um, for a democratic society, and the taxing, tax-raising implications. But I think there's also something else that Somehow, in my own mind, as a non-politician, non-officer, just as a citizen, I can't quite square the notion of devolution. And but based on templated approaches from the centre, almost like centre knows best, and how to perhaps break that apart and say, do you know what, whether you're elected for Whitehall, oh, sorry, Westminster, or elected locally, or just a citizen, we all pay taxes, we all want to see the money spent well. And actually, um, we in this room, um, and I'm not going to talk about any particular organisations, have demonstrated how well we uh, steward public money. So if actually we've already demonstrated we can do it well, and as a, as a community can healthily compete, you, you're right, everybody wants to protect their own, but do it in a a healthy way as well as collaborate to, to know an advantage such that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, then let's get on with it. Um, there may be some trade-offs and we may have to just face those. For example, um, do I think HS2 and Northern Pals Rail are both essential together with the local connectivity? Yes. If we have to think about the time frames in a different way, well, let's have that conversation rather than leaving the uncertainty in the air. That's, that's my view. And I think a lot of business people say, actually, we are, to your point, how do we make longer-term investments if we're going to be limited to some of the yings and yangs of 
political cycle, wherever it is, those yings and yangs come from. And I don't make that as a, as a criticism or a complaint, just as an observation in a constructive way. Synergy is fundamental. Um, the fact that there are so many people at this conference today means that I think people really want to, to make that progress. Um, the issue is, what are the barriers in the way? Um, and, and how do we get over those barriers? I think we do need to collaborate, not just as LEPs or local authorities or transport for the North, but, but right across the board from a, a business perspective and how do we make that engagement be really meaningful um, to the people who hold the purse strings and the powers um, that they can, they can devolve um, to the region or the super region um, that does have the talent, does have the ambition, um, does have the, some of the capability um, to actually deliver um, and we have a, a, a large proportion of the population of England. Um, we have a lot of very, very strong universities um, with the, the capabilities that they have. We lead the world in lots of different things. Um, and yet, we still have that productivity gap. We still have those challenges. Um, so we, we need that um, leap of faith, if you like, from from central government to say, okay, um, you know, you say you've, you've got a plan, the plan looks good, we have the data that backs it up, um, let's deliver it. So touching back on what you said, Roger, about devolution in particular, do you think that devolution would help to deliver better levels of investment for the North? I'm a complete believer in the devolution model. Um, but also a model that uh, helps, particularly those elected, um, take some of the risks that, uh, and recognise not everything works perfectly. Obviously, you don't go out there to everything to fail, but to be able to take some of the risks and, and don't feel un uncomfortable about it, because um, there are there are enormous prizes to be secured. And Emma's just touched on, you know, the universities. You know, I, I've been in dialogue and people saying, well, we're going to put another £10 billion per annum by 2027 into research and development, you know, for, for England. And I said, well, no, it's not another £10 billion for England. It's actually four initially to the north to make good on the gap that currently exists, the so-called missing four billion that Professor Richard Jones has, uh, has, has set out, and then six billion to be perhaps reprofiled. And sometimes having these conversations makes people stop and think. Uh, I think, as I say, the devolution model, um, in my part of the world, it's, it's, it's only relatively new. We've only had a mayor for 130 or more days. Um, in other places, it's much more developed. But actually, we've already demonstrated how, how we can you know, deliver what would appear at the outset extraordinary returns, but actually really useful returns for the taxpayer pound. And, and I think it, it comes back to that word. We're all in this together, to use that phraseology. Uh, why do we need to be trusted to make our place better, not only for the people up here, wherever, wherever up here is, but actually for the nation? It's, it, it, I find it quite incredulous that 
um, there's still this having to still make this argument. Um, uh, but but if we continue, as I say, not to be fragmented as a family of the North, uh, resolute in supporting each other and presenting those, as I said, where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, um, the gender, then hopefully at least it'd be looked at favourably when it comes to the allocation of scarce resources. And also to keep making the case, we don't want a poor South either. We just want the South to be able to keep more of what it generates to sort out its challenges. Thus, it's not just poverty isn't just limited to the North, it's, it's everywhere. Rather than perhaps some of what's floating around now, it says, okay, what will happen is if the North get more out of the comprehensive spending, somehow that means it's to the expense of the South. We must, we must somehow throttle that argument because that may be an argument that's used uh, really to nobody's advantage. Just add really, which is that there's almost different types of devolution happening. There's there's a political devolution and a financial one, and I don't think they're they're at the same pace. And I think that's something that I'd really like to see is make sure that if you're going to give gen, if you genuinely want to give power to communities, give them the budget to do so, because um, that's that's something. That, if anything, I've actually think that we've regressed that in the last couple of years. Um, I think that the pots of money that we can apply for, we can apply for more pots of money. Um, as an organisation such as County Council, um, but the caveats and the hoops you have to jump through, and the, the the it's almost narrower and narrower in what you can actually spend that money on. So it's all well and good having this this money that is available and accessible, uh, but if it doesn't meet narrow criteria, then you're not going to get it. And um, I don't know if that's devolution at all. Ian, do you want to jump in? No, I think I'm. I'm not sure I've got, got much to add to that, actually. I, th I think devolution can mean all sorts of different things. Um, and I think unless there is some control over financial decision-making or resource allocation, then you've potentially got powers, but without any real ability to follow through. So I would agree with what Charlie said. So we've heard a lot in recent months, and it feels like years, actually, about levelling up, and it was only this week that the government's announced that it's going to be naming a ministry in particular about levelling up. So levelling up feels like such a fluffy term, doesn't it, in terms of what would success actually look like for you in terms of the levelling up agenda? And most important, what do we need to do as a region to secure that investment for the North to level up? <laughs> I hope you can hear me, uh, and I don't paint this picture out of crassness. Uh, for, for me, levelling up is making sure that somebody in the centre just doesn't have a template that says that what it looks like, and we rule it out everywhere. You know, we're, we're not Tesco, uh, nothing wrong with Tesco or any of the other, you know, formats where it's the same everywhere you're in the country. We need to see levelling up as as something of a pick and mix where. Certain places will need certain things, um, which may be a really big bag of pick and mix, and other places might not need smaller things. Uh, and to one of Charlie's points, not have these unhealthy competitions with places uh, for funding that's then prescribed what you spend it on rather than what you've determined is needed for those communities, whether it be coastal, rural, metro, or, or otherwise. Um, 
And I think the fact that, I think it's been announced today that Andy Haldane, the former chief economist of the Bank of England, is going to head up a task force. These are not my words, they're the words of the Independent, I think, that said, you know, actually levelling up's language, but there's, what is it behind it? And we actually need to get some substance behind. Actually, what's the prize from it? And if the prize, going back to my point, is that over a decade or two, albeit that's quite a long period of time, is the North becomes self-sufficient economically because it's had this, this and this to meet our offers, then that's what levelling up should look like. It may be, di and it may be different in Lancashire as compared to here in West Yorkshire or actually on the North East Coast. But it's, it's having that flexibility. Um, there is no right, and indeed there is no wrong answer, but actually places, going back to the devolution model, saying this is what we think, trust us, give us the tools, judge us by the results. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, get, you get my point. Yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. Just, I'll tell you a little quick story. So, I, so I'm, I'm a county councillor for Morecambe, which is where I represent. And you're all very welcome to come to the glorious <laughs> sunny town of Morecambe anytime you like. And at the moment, we're in the news quite a lot because there's going to be the uh, project, the new Eden project, have decided that Morecambe is where they want to build the Northern Eden project. And uh, as you can probably tell from my accent, not naturally from Morecambe. I grew up in South London. And for me, levelling up can be described in a very simple fact. I went to a normal primary school and my first school trip I went to was to the Natural History Museum in the centre of London. The kids who I represent in Morecambe, the first school trip they do is they go to the canal and count frogs. That's the difference. That, for me, is the potential of levelling up. Is actually how can we really genuinely have an equitable opportunity for people, for every person in this country. And I was so extremely motivated when, when Boris uh, became the Prime Minister and he made that his thing. And I think that levelling up is, I think, what this country should be defined on in this decade. And um, I don't think the levelling up fund does that. And the answer to the previous question about narrow funds, levelling up, it's so hard to bid for the money for the levelling up fund. Um, but as a political identity and ideology, I think it's something that Transport for the North and all of us in this room should really buy into that, yeah, it's time to level up. It's time to get out of the canal. Um, we all need an Eden project. And, and, but we do need to, we need to have things that we aspire to and, and, and give everyone that chance in life to make the best of it. So I, I love levelling up. And I think that it's up down to us to make sure it happens. Thank you. That's Hans Wondry from Warrington. Um, I've, I've picked up some of the, the points people were making. I think uh, the bids of pots of money uh, <laughs> keeps coming up. But uh, is this not being used too often now and too much? Is a bidding for pots of money, you get a, a pick and mix solution. And I think um, th that, that's the sort of thing we're looking for, but to, uh, not looking for. Don't we need some more joined-up thinking and long-term solutions as to some of the issues we've got, not only in the North, but in the, but in the nation? And what we've worked out is, is a, a failed bid costs just as much as, as a successful bid. And when you have pots of money and you have eight comp competitors against the same pot of money, one winner and seven losers, how much wasted resources, money and time of offices is actually being wasted in, in, in this bidding way? 
And I think we're going too far down the line of everything is, uh, there's a pot of money there, you can all bid for it, and that's the solution. Well, actually, you've got seven unfulfilled solutions, uh, problems not, not solved for every one you solve. I, can I just say, I, I actually raised this as an issue when I first um, interacted with Transport for the North, and we pay for every different levelling up fund bid or whatever bid we put, put, we put forward, there is always that part of the, the consultant's work, which is the what's the economic picture of Lancashire look like and stuff. And Transport for the North basically said to us, you know, that we have huge amounts of data that we'll be able to, to, to give you access to, to be able to help you in delivering those bids. And I thought that's such a really collaborative and constructive and real positive of Transport for the North. Um, I think it's, and I was so impressed with that um, when, I, when I first come into the role. So I would just say that actually, there are people that can help with that, and I think Transport for the North have got a massive role to play, and they've, I found that really, really useful, and I'd like to publicly thank Transport for the North for that, because it's brilliant. And I think probably what this discussion's led us to is that, you know, that collaboration is absolutely key and crucial, really, to secure that investment at the heart of almost unleashing the potential of the North, isn't it? Well, that was a really interesting debate there on the importance of funding the transport projects we need and where that investment can come from. We do have all of the recordings from our conference available now on our website. Head over to transportforthenorth.com slash annual hyphen conference to take a watch. And they're all on our podcast episodes as well. So please do head over to wherever you're listening to our podcasts and take a look through the back catalogue there. Thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Transport for the North podcast. Don't forget you can subscribe on Spotify and SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook for all our latest updates. And join us on our website where you can find all the latest news and sign up to our All Points North newsletter.